Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. This is the Average Conservationist podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities in the organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, Contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. going on everybody a happy wednesday to you wherever you're listening from welcome back to the average conservationist podcast and i'm your host marcus ewing all right today we've got a great episode for you one that i thoroughly enjoyed today i get to sit down with paul campbell and paul is the director of development um, for one of the regions of the national wild turkey federation uh, not only that paul is a fellow host of the of a podcast on the sportsman's empire um, the Ohio Outdoors or the O2 podcast. Um, so Paul and I um, have had a little bit of relationship for a while, both being on the Sportsman's Empire Network. And today was um, a great, a great conversation um, about turkeys and the work that, you know, not only Paul, but the entire team and membership base of NWTF have been doing, you know, over, I think he said that in March will be 50 years um, of the organization uh, being in existence and the amount of work uh, that they have done to restore turkeys um, to where they're at now is is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, he talks about some of the success stories and some of the things that NWTF is currently doing, um, you know, in, in various states that, that he is kind of overseeing. Uh, but not only that, he, he tells a really good story because I asked him kind of what was his, you know, what was something that he didn't know uh, about turkeys or, or turkey hunting um, prior to joining NWTF um, early, early last year. And I, I don't want to spoil his answer, but the answer that he gave me was was one that I, I had not heard from someone kind of working in the conservation space. A, a lot of times they'll, they give you an answer about, oh, you know, I didn't know that the population was this or that, you know, animal X, um, something about its history or, or something maybe very specific to that species. Um, and the answer that Paul gave was, was incredible. And it's one to me that really shows, um, you know, where Paul is at, uh, kind of in his, in his career with NWTF, kind of in his journey in conservation. Uh, so super cool there. Um, Paul talks about, you know, how he was introduced to the outdoors, what that introduction looked like to him, um, how turkey hunting 
for kind of lack of a better way to put it, like how it saved him, how it pulled him out of a really, you know, dark time in his life, which was something that, that him and I kind of, you know, or something that I could, I could certainly relate to and sympathize and, and completely understand, you know, where Paul was coming from when he told that story. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a, an all around great conversation with Paul. He's, you know, if, if you're, if you're listening, you know, maybe you're in Ohio or, you know, even if you're not in Ohio, definitely be sure to check out, um, the O2, the Ohio Outdoors podcast, because, um, you know, him and his co-host, Andrew, uh, do a great job week in and week out of, you know, talking, you know, talking all things outdoors. So I think that if you're looking to, uh, change things up a little bit, uh, yeah, definitely be sure to, to check out their podcast because it, uh, he's a, he's a fellow brethren of the Sportsman's Empire. So episode 136 with Paul Campbell, uh, enjoy guys. Uh, today's episode, is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Stone Glacier. Now's a great time to kind of start start building that kit, start getting ready for for next fall. I mean, I realize we're January 12th at this point, but there's no time like the present. So if you're you're looking to to upgrade your pack or some of your 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 sleep system, uh, whether it's a tent, whether it's a sleeping bag, you know, if you want to you know, add some, some pieces to the kit in terms of, you know, outer layers or base layers, head over to stoneglacier.com, check out all of their awesome gear. They just dropped a new pack this week, I believe. And, you know, show season is upon us. Uh, Paul was, uh, our guest this week is, is currently down at ATA. So if you happen to be in the area where there's one of these big, uh, outdoor trade shows going on, slide in there because there's a good chance that stone glacier is going to be there and you can get your hands on uh, some of this, uh, some of this gear firsthand and really test it out. So again, head over to stoneglacier.com. All right, Paul Campbell, how are you, sir? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Marcus, I'm doing good, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. We're, uh, for those listening, just to give you a little insight, we're, we're staring 11 PM right in the face here. Paul is yeah. on the road doing some traveling, just rolled into the hotel. I'm trying to just get an episode out. I had some, some scheduling conflicts and Paul's bailing me out here. So no, man, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to, happy to be here. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Munts and I, Andrew's, uh, propped up on the bed staring at his phone. We're, uh, it does sound weird. You can probably hear him. Yeah. He's over, he's over there just lost in his, in his own thoughts, man. We, uh, made the trip to Indianapolis for the archery trade association show, uh, this week. So yeah, we're looking, looking forward to that. It's, uh, our second year here. It was a lot of fun last year in Louisville. Uh, yeah. So Indianapolis hopefully treats us well. Yeah, no, Indy's a cool city and I'm super bummed that I wasn't able to make it. I had originally planned on it and then just some scheduling conflicts, uh, all that good stuff. And, just just couldn't make it happen um so hopefully next year i'll be able to get down there and join you guys because i know that a lot of you guys from a lot of a lot of guys from sportsman's nation are going to be uh in attendance this week to uh to take that in and you guys will get a chance to hang out so yeah i'm definitely uh, a little fomo here that i'm not down there with you guys yeah it's i think it's gonna be a lot of fun it's 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 funny it you know is is as podcasters, you I mean you, you, and I'm using air quotes for people listening. You meet people, yeah. Uh, you know, on on events like this, on online, and you talk on the phone, and, and you become friends with people. And it's funny, we were talking on the way out here. We haven't met any of these Sportsman's Nation uh, podcasters yet. We've met Andrews, met Mitchell Shirk from from the Pennsylvania Woodsman, but everyone else, we've not met them in person. So we're really looking forward to to meet these people that, that we've gotten to know over, uh, over the years. So, yeah, I'm trying yeah, to think, I don't think, it. I don't think I've met anyone in person either. Just all just like this. Or when we have our, our, uh, our big meetings with the whole network and, and even yeah. then, you know, we're missing a few people from time to time. So no, um, yeah, no, that'll, that'll be, that'll be cool. I'm excited to hear some of the stories that come out of that. I'm actually recording a podcast with, uh, the Huntervor with Nick Otto tomorrow. Nick, Nick is awesome. We had him on, on our show, uh, right after deer or right before deer gun season here in Ohio. And, and just you, Nick's one of those people, you point him in the direction that you want to go and he just runs with it. And, and man, we, he, he did a, it was a great episode talking about, you know, uh, butchering deer and recipes and just fantastic. So yeah, you, you, your listeners are going to enjoy talking to or listening to Nick for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, so I've had him, I've had him on my Michigan wild podcast, but I'm going to be a guest on his podcast. And he gave me this whole list of things that he wants to try to cover and, 
I should probably start doing my homework because we've got that tomorrow night just so I don't I don't bumble over everything. But no, he's he's a great guest. Super easy to talk to, knows his shit. Yeah, he's he's a good one. And and I mean that kind of goes for all the guys on the network, right? Like everyone is just we're just we've talked about it before. And I think I've even like echoed this on I did a podcast right at the end of the year, just kind of like thanking some of the sponsors and and you know, I thank the network and just all the guys on the network. Like we're just a bunch of regular dudes right who who love talking shop when it comes to hunting or the outdoors or anything like that and you know we're just fortunate enough that dan has kind of given us this platform to uh yeah to really talk about things yeah definitely it's good stuff i love it i love being a part of it yeah and you know to be honest like i don't even know how i didn't know that you worked for nwtf um honestly like no joke like i think i came across it on linkedin and i was like okay I, i came across it somewhere like kind of like by happenstance and i was like I did not realize Paul worked for NWTF. It's like, well, one, I can get someone from the network on the podcast. And two, like, obviously he makes a career out of conservation, right? Like this is what he does for a living. So kind of kill two birds with one stone. So yeah, I'm excited to to talk turkeys, man. Yeah. You know, man, I, I'm so, I'm so fortunate to have the, the job that I do. I started with the National Wild Turkey Federation, uh, in February of 2022, okay. my first full week on the job was at uh, at the annual convention, and so you talk about like like getting thrown to the wolves, your trial by fire, whatever analogy you want to use. That's that's what it was, and uh, it was professionally it was the hardest week I've ever had. It was the busiest <laughs> week I've ever had, and at the end of it, I had done it all over again, uh, just because it, it was it was so much fun and and just meeting everyone and. And the, the energy that is in a in a place like that when you get all those people uh, in one spot that are that are there for for one reason that's the you know celebrate an organization and celebrate conservation work and and, and celebrate an animal that we, you know that we all care care deeply about so great time man great time down in Nashville yeah so how did you how did you end up working for NWTF what were you doing before what kind of you know well let me take a step back let's go all the way back to the beginning here. So yeah. what did like your introduction to the outdoors look like? I mean, you're in Ohio. Um, I guess for those listening, I should back up even further. Um, Paul is a co-host for another podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Network, uh, Ohio Outdoors, the O2 podcast. Um, so yeah, tell me kind of how you got started in the outdoors. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I just just a warning. I, my, I, I'll tell you, listeners, my, my, my voice is, is a little scratchy here. I'm <laughs> feeling the best. So I, if I sound weird or cough, please, please forgive me. But yeah. So, so Marcus, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Okay. Um, I, uh, my grandparents hunted and you know, growing up, I, I, I did fish quite a bit as a kid. Um, but you know, as far as hunting, killing animals, being around firearms or bows, that, that wasn't a part of my life. Uh, so fast forward 25 years old, my, my dad had just died and I was really on this just, just completely destructive path, man. The economy was, was terrible. So this would have been, you know, 2007, 2008. And, and, and for those of you that remember that time, it was really tough. Um, you know, the industry that I was working in, I was, I, I worked on a golf course and, you know, everyone was struggling and I was destructive. My, you know, lost my dad, I was drinking a ton and, and, um, a friend of mine who you know, we had grown up together, he grew up hunting and fishing and, and, you know, his dad hunted and his dad died within months of my father. And, uh, you know, he was like, Hey man, do you, do you want to go turkey hunting? And my response was, what the hell's a turkey? Like, like what's a, what's a wild turkey? Like people, people do that. Like I'm like the Thanksgiving turkeys, you know? And, and he's like, yeah, man, it's awesome. So I'm like, you know what, why not? And, um, I didn't have anything else really going for me in life. So, so I, I went to Walmart, I bought, they, I'll never forget this. They had these, these mossy Oak, uh, obsession, uh, like outfit and it was $10 for the pants and like $15 for, for the shirt, you know? And it's like the thickest cotton, like oh, yeah. the most uncomfortable stuff you couldn't you imagine know? wearing today. Oh yeah. Just, and you know, it's just the worst. And I think I had like a pair of like cat boots or something. I had to borrow a shotgun cause I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford a shotgun. So I, I, I borrowed this Winchester 1300 and, so this is like, you know, this is before you know YouTube and 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 uh, just the the information that we have at our fingertips to learn how to how to hunt. So right. neither of us had known what we we're doing. This is my friend's second year. It's my first year. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing, and so we go out to this little public spot in Ohio, and and I I bought this um, this friction call, this Primo's Crystal friction call for for. It's just this. It's it's an acrylic call, and I'll admit that it took me probably 
two or three weeks before I realized that you had to scratch the surface of the call to be able to make it work. So I'm trying to figure out how to turkey call on this thing, and it's smooth. I'm like, how the hell do you make this thing work? But and there was no YouTube, you know. So yeah. so I actually I, I go back to the store in McConnellville, Ohio. I'm like, hey man, like turkey season starts like the next day. I'm like, I, I need to return this call. I can't. It doesn't work. It's broken. And he's like, it came with sandpaper. Like <laughs> you need to rough the surface of the call up. So you know, I and and as soon as I, and I had practiced like the angle so well, I, I had it down. As soon as as soon as this guy roughed the roughed the surface of the call up, man, I, I was able to to call. So that was just kind of like my entrance into it. But so, you know, that first that first day, man, um, I didn't know what to expect. I go out and 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 I I hear my first wild turkey gobble, uh, and and something in my mind changed. Uh, something in me changed. I've I've never been like you know the heart race, all the adrenaline, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that, that comes with hunting and, and, and the things that we do. And it absolutely hooked me and it changed me, uh, you know, as a person, it was something I, I wanted to, I wanted to see that animal. I wanted to shoot that animal. I wanted to put my hands on that animal, like I, everything. Like it went all, it took me three years before I, I killed my first turkey. It's not as easy as it, some people make it look. It's yeah, it's not. And it's just, and, and, you know, when, when you're in that situation, there's no one to teach you. The best way to learn is by not doing it the right way. So, oh yeah. um, there's a lot of trial and error, a lot of failure, and there's still a lot of failure. I mean, that 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 the turkey has a way of of humbling you uh, better than than I think any other wild animal out there that make you feel dumber than than most of them. That's true. That's very um, true. But it uh, so that yeah, that was it, man. That was my entrance into it, and it it really at the time in my life that it it, it really kind of um, and I know it sounds crazy. You know, because is, you know, now at 40, I've got family, I got three awesome kids. Like I find my identity in that. But at the time, like that was something that, that kind of gave my life purpose almost was, was, was hunting and, and specifically wild turkeys. Uh, and it just kind of evolved after that. My involvement with the NWTF just as, as, a, as an annual member, um, <coughs> excuse me, as far as getting the job, um, last, so 20, so 2021, December or November of 2021, uh, it was the day before Thanksgiving. They they were running like a like a pre Black Friday sale for for their for their gear, and they just come out with the new logo, which it's right there, and everyone's everyone's heard about it and everything that came along with that. So I I got on their website. I was looking for hats with the old logo on it. I wanted to see if I could find any of the old logo stuff that was on sale. And there's just a link at the top of the web page that says now hiring. I'm like, oh man, I wonder what kind of jobs the NWTF has. And they had my job, which is the director of development for the Central East US. Uh, and I clicked on it and I, you know, I kind of met some of the qualifications, but I'm one of those people, man, that if it's something I'm passionate about and I think I can do it, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot my shot, so to speak. And, um, I, I, I sent in my resume, I wrote a really passionate cover letter just about what the Turkey means to me and what hunting means to me. And, uh, it's generated an interview, uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, I went down the, I don't know, maybe two weeks later, met with my boss, met with the team down there. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to be offered the job right after the new year, uh, in 2022. So yeah, that's how, that's how it's been, man. It was, it was, uh, you know, it started out looking for a, for a hat with the old logo on it and it, uh, it turned into a, a new career. So that's incredible, man. I mean, for one, the, how hunting came into your life and kind of pulled you out of a dark spot. Like it, yeah. it kind of, like, as you just said, like it kind of saved you. Um, it's you and I have a very similar kind of path. I mean, I, I grew up in a hunting family. I grew up doing it from a young age, but right around that same time, 20, I think I was 26. Yeah. I was 26 when I lost my dad and he was like, he was that guy for me, right? Like that. He was the one I, I learned how to hunt from, you know, not just hunting, but just, you know, being an adult, being a man, you know, all those things that, that a dad is great for. And at the time, like I wasn't doing, like I, I was out of college for a few years. I wasn't doing a lot of hunting myself. Um, I just, I kind of found different interests. Like after I got out of college, I didn't have time to do it while I was in school. Um, you know, maybe over Thanksgiving, I'd, I'd have some time to, to hunt, like maybe one or two days. Like that was, that was kind of my hunting season. And it was, it was one of those things that after he passed, it kind of gave me this, this new drive to get back out in the woods, right. To kind of getting, you know, this nostalgia behind it, you know, growing up and all those memories that you create. And then it it was kind of a way for me to, you know, stay connected after he had passed. And I find it, you know, being in the woods, whether it's deer season, whether it's turkey season, if you're out fishing or whatever it is, like it's one of those things that allows you to 
kind of just be at peace and, and really kind of be with your thoughts without getting too emotional and too deep on you here. But I mean, I, I, I certainly can, can relate to the situation that you were in and what the outdoors has kind of has done for you, you know, from a, from a personal standpoint. So no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, then, thank you. Yeah. And then to kind of tie a bow on that, to, you know, have this be kind of a, a saving thing for you to dive, you know, dive in head first. And then, you know, however many years later that was to, you know, you're looking for a hat, you end up with, you know, a, a dream job, which it's, it's funny because, you know, for a lot of guys like you and I, Paul, who love the outdoors as much as we do, like to land a job with, with a conservation organization, let alone one that you're so passionate about. I mean, that's, when it comes to something like that, like the money doesn't mean a goddamn thing, right? Like it's all yeah, about that's the mission. Exactly right. And I, I think I, I have just, I've, I've applied for jobs in conservation. Um, hasn't worked out for me, but I, I love the work that people do because the, it's almost like a teacher to a degree. Like it's almost like they're underpaid. They're doing, you know, this work that has such a profound effect, whether it's, you know, shaping young minds for the future or, you know, trying to restore a wild animal back to kind of its its glory. And that's what, you know, the NWTF is, has certainly done uh, with turkeys all across America over, you know, the past however many decades. Uh, it'll be it'll be 50 years as an organization, March 28th of this year. Wow. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's. You know, I'm, I'm so I'm just so grateful to be to be a part of this organization. And, you know, every day I wake up and I'm like, man, I, I get to I get to talk about turkeys. Yeah. You know, hunting, conservation work. And it's really neat. And, and you know, as a as a as a member centric organization, uh, you know, it, it adds a layer of, of fun to it. You get to you. Know, I get to work with some really cool people, uh, you know, within the organization. So uh, that are just volunteers, members and volunteers. I mean, it's just what it, those are the people that drive the mission forward. So. It's a, it's a special, special group of people for sure. Yeah. So what does, as a director of development, what does that position entail? What does kind of a, a day-to-day look like for you? Yeah. So my, so my role, um, I cover, uh, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, uh, and Ohio. And I'll travel into new, new England is needed. Uh, so what, so what I do is I, I am not a, wildlife biologist uh i am in fundraising so my job is to kind of is is to help get the money to keep the biologists and the conservation staff uh the foresters and and the r3 coordinators and all those keep the people that do the real work the fun work the important work keep them keep them employed keep that mission forward so you know i'm on the kind of the back end just to to raise the money uh and 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 just help you know, propel the, the, the mission forward. So, uh, I, I work with, with major donors to the organization, uh, and that, that could be, um, for, for us, it's anyone that's, that's life to date over $5,000, okay. uh, is what we consider a, a major donor. It's cumulative giving. So it's, what's really neat with my job is I really put a lot of, of effort into learning and understanding and asking the questions of the biologists and the conservation staff because that's what's important to me. And, and I want to know what's going on within the organization, what we're doing, um, you know, project wise in, in, in my areas, uh, you know, what's on the horizon, what are some of the issues? And, you know, uh, one of my favorite things that I've gotten, that I've gotten to do the last couple of, well, the last couple of months, uh, I've been a part of two, uh, land purchases, okay. private property purchased, uh, through, through NWTF chapter state chapters, uh, and then converted to public access. So those, oh, those properties incredible. are, yeah, they're they're purchased through um, either foundations uh, and then and then just basically given to uh, the state uh, DNRs and then you know there's conservation easements put on them and you know in perpetuity. So I love being a part of stuff like that because uh, that's that's stuff that that's tangible for people, right? You know, we we within conservation organizations, you know, we we need three things from from our from our members: time, talent, and treasure, right? That's yep. what that's what moves it forward. And so when when I say, listen, man, we just bought 1,200 acres in Ohio. We bought, you know, almost a thousand acres in the state of Indiana. We're working on another couple hundred acres uh, in Tennessee to attach to wildlife management areas. That's impact, and that's impact that's tangible for for, for people. And it's 
it's generational, you know, our kids can use it, you know, your kids can, and it's just stuff that I mean, that's, that's the stuff that I love to see. I love to be a part of. So, yeah. And I think you're right. Like the, the tangible aspect of something like that, like that's what, I think that's what members, especially like a younger generation of members, right? Like that's what they want to see. Like they want to know if you're donating your time or your money, you know, things like that, that they want to be able to walk away at the end of a day or the end of a banquet or something like that and say, you know what, this, you know, this money, you know, whether you spent money on raffle tickets at a banquet, whether you just made a, a donation like you were just talking about from a partner or something along those lines, like at the end of the day, they can say, you know, that that $5,000, like that's going towards or that's going to help the purchase of this piece of land in Tennessee or wherever, the, you know, whichever state it is that, you know, what used to be private is now going to be public. So now everyone in that surrounding area or, or hell, you and I could come from out of state and go down there and enjoy that piece of public land. And <clears throat> I mean, those are, like you said, that those are generational things. Yeah. So from the NWTF, like after you guys kind of uh, facilitate like a purchase like that or like a land transfer or whatever, you know, however it looks, will you guys, you know, have biologists help with like potentially like habitat restoration or, you know, doing things like that to try to help build that population back up in that area? Every time. Okay. Yep, every time. So that's, uh, so I'll just, I'll just use an example in Indiana. We just helped facilitate. It was a couple hundred acres. I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I think it was close to 400, uh, that attached to, uh, it bordered an existing wildlife management area. So it had been ag land previously, uh, a little bit of the ag, a little bit of marsh. And so, so the, so we helped not we the nwtf chapter in the state of indiana uh they gave a certain amount of money it was paired with with pitman robertson dollars and, and it helped uh the indiana natural resources foundation purchase that property so once that property is transferred to the state of indiana uh you know it's just working through the process uh our conservation staff will go in um and all of those old ag fields are going to convert to, to native warm season grasses. Okay. So, it'll, it, you know, you'll, you'll have um, you know, good quality habitat. They'll start um, getting rid of invasive uh, tree and shrubs uh, in, in the forested areas, um, you know, work on drainage issues uh, uh, there. So it's, it's really a neat, it's really a neat thing. So we, we help with the land purchase and then, you know, we, we've got the money and we've got the, the resources to be able to, to fix that land and, and put it back to something that's beneficial for wildlife, you know, for, you know, going forward. So uh, it's, a, it's a really neat, neat thing to see uh, and we'll watch those guys get in there and start doing their work. So, yeah. And that's that's another thing, too. I think that sometimes uh, like the average Joe, uh, you know, the average Joe outdoorsman or whatever, they might not realize is while. NWTF is responsible for that, that purchase of land or that conversion of land. And they look at it and say, okay, like they're, they're, they're restoring this land, this, this piece of property. Um, and it's going to be great for the turkeys, but it's like, it's going to be great for upland birds. It's going to be great for pollinators. Like the, it's not just, I mean, while NWTF may be in charge of it and maybe kind of leading the, you know, leading the pack with that, it's, it's going to be beneficial to all wildlife in that area. Absolutely, and one of the, and 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 we've we've talked a lot about that as an organization. Uh, you know, really in the in the last year, uh, you know, some of the initiatives that that, that we've had, um, you know, over the last ten years, save the habitat, save the hunt, acres conserved, and you know, we're we're starting a new new one, uh, waterways for wildlife, and 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 you know, what's good for the turkey is good for the quail, it's good for the pheasant, it's good for the deer waterways it's good for it's good for the trout it's good for the smallmouth bass and 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 everything so it's it's really um the impact that we do yes we're the national wild turkey federation but the work that, that our conservation staff does and the work that we help fund through through state agencies uh really is is impactful uh, positively impactful to, to all to all wildlife yeah. and that's and that's the mission you can't just be one-sided you know you can't say well you know we're just going to worry about turkeys screw the elk you know it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work like that so you know, one of the one of the things that, that's that's I mean, just just really really big news kind of within our our organization and uh, and conservation work. Uh, the, the NWTF signed a 20 year national master stewardship agreement with the U.S. Forest Service. So what that means is we're going to go out, we're going to start doing um, the control burns and and all of these things out west. Is really it's going to start out west and it's going to spread out uh, nationwide. Uh, you know, it's going to help with the forest or, you know, the wildfires out there yeah. You're doing the work. So we have the resources, we have the staff, we have the people, the talent to be able to go out and impact positively the landscape 
um, that's that's it, but that's a broad statement, right? It's it's impact for for humans. It's impact for the communities that are being um, that are being literally torched by these wildfires right. out there. It's 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 it seems impact like every for, summer. Yeah, for the waterways that you know when 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 that vegetation's gone, you know the hillsides flow. So there's all this there's all these things uh, you know that they're tied into an agreement like that, and it's 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 because the you know the organization has worked so hard to to have the resources and the infrastructure to be able to act on something like that and 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 be able to back it up. So it's 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 cool to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think that a lot of people understand how dire the the population of turkeys was for a long time. I had a guest on, oh gosh, must've been maybe early this fall. Uh, Cindy Stites, she works for mm-hmm. um, the Indiana DNR. Yeah, and she's I, our three coordinator. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I think she was telling me that turkeys were last reintroduced into the wild in Indiana in like 1984 or something like that. Like that's not, that's not that long ago. that's that's crazy for me to think about because i mean in michigan here like it's like yeah turkey's a turkey like you see them seems like all the time especially when you're not hunting them uh is when you see them most often but to think that you know 35 years ago you know almost 40 years ago that these they were still needing help and being reintroduced into the wild because the population was so low in some areas yeah. So is, is an organization, the first mission statement that we had, you know, back in 73, when it was started in the state of Virginia was the mission statement was simple. It was, it was get Turkey, basically get turkeys, uh, in every landscape that they can, that they can sustain population, a huntable population, right? Yeah. All get, get turkeys in 49 States because there weren't turkeys in 49 States 50 years ago. So we're the only wildlife conservation organization that, that, uh, successfully achieved our mission. And it was Target 2000. They wanted to have turkeys uh, back in the landscape in all 49 states that could that could sustain turkey population. We did that. We did it. I, I want to say 1997, 1998, something like that. So we beat that by two years. And so, you know, as, as a conservation organization, the uh, I mean that that effort that's crazy when you think about it. It is. You know, it's and, a, and it's a and, testament to your membership. Yeah, it absolutely is the membership, and then and, and you've got you've got people that, you know, if you if you if you rewind a little bit, you talk about the 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 decline, you know, the twenties, thirties, and forties. Best estimates of wild turkeys in the entire country: two hundred thousand. Worst estimates: thirty to forty thousand across the entire country. And so, I mean, you're talking about an animal that is on the brink of extinction in this country, and the work that was done. And 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 it's funny that when you look at like. Every every species that that's had uh, in this country that's had any sort of game species that's had any sort of uh, impact the bison the buffalo white-tailed deer the elk everything the people that really start you know start sounding the alarm bell it's it's hunters it's oh, anglers yeah. right yep. we're the, we're the ones that are like oh crap we got to do something and so I mean you see it's really neat you see you see people like Duff Holbrook back in the fifties that starts you know takes the rocket net from from you know kind of uh, you know, the ducks, you know, trapping ducks and then, and then, you know, converts that into, you know, being able to trap a turkey and then the trap and transfer that started back in the forties and fifties and, and really was ramped up by, um, people like Becky Humphreys, our, 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 one of our CEOs and the organization right now. I mean, she was trapping turkeys in Michigan back in the sixties. That's crazy. I mean, she is a freaking rock star in the world of conservation. I don't think people realize that because she's super humble. Um, but man, she is, she is, uh, she's been on the front lines for a long time yeah and but the people that the, the, the people that that sound the alarm bell and they took the initiative to say you know what we're going to stop this and we're going to do everything in our power to put this bird back and, and and help bolster these populations and protect this this wonderful resource for for generations and it's it is it's a testament to the to the membership and it's a testament to just the the heart of the sportsmen and and, and the hunters in this country so yeah and i think you know that's that's one of the things that i think the I don't know if you want to call it the general populace, but like the, you know, the non, the non hunters, the non anglers that, you know, whether they're indifferent about, you know, hunting or it seems like it's more hunting because angling for whatever reason, like no one seems to ever really have an issue with that. Like it's usually, you know, killing, killing animals on, on kind of the, the landscape, not necessarily the water, but it's, you know, they think that we're sometimes responsible for the decline of species and and things like that and i think that that could not be further from the truth we're the ones that when something pops up and and animals need 
they need to come back from that brink of extinction like you just talked about like we're the ones that are are beating on doors we're raising money we're you know attending you know these local you know board meetings or policy meetings or whatever the case is and i mean look at at the wins that you know just conservation as a whole have had over the past shoot 5 to 10 years and it's all because it's I think it's just kind of this, not to say that, you know, that our elders um, didn't do a lot for the world of conservation, but, you know, times have changed, right? And there's like this, I've talked about this numerous times, but like there's like this changing of the guard in terms of who's really at the forefront of, of conservation, of, uh, yeah, just of conservation. It's this younger generation who, you know, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, were much more opinionated about everything. We want to make sure that everything is visible to everyone and or to any and everyone. And sometimes it's, you know, that, that stuff is annoying and I hate seeing it all the time, but a lot of good comes out of it, man. It really does. Like it's, yeah. it's one of those bright parts about social media is, is kind of the, the rallying cries <laughs> that, uh, that we can put together. Uh, especially when it comes to, you know, public lands, you know, being sold off or not being sold off because of, you know, support from hunters and anglers and, you know, like, um, the saving, uh, saving America's wildlife act, I think is, is the name of it. Um, you know, like the money that's gonna provide to hopefully allow, you know, conservation organizations across the country, uh, you know, state agencies, federal agencies, you know, all these things to be, for once, it seems like proactive in the world of conservation as opposed to reactive. And I think that's, that's for, for conservation in general, like that's gotta be our end game, right? To be, to proact, to be proactive, to get out ahead of these things, instead of always having to try to, oh shoot, things are going south. Like let's, let's rally, right? Like let's, let's squash this bill or, you know, let's raise this, let's get this bill passed or whatever the case is. So it's, uh, it's nice to see, kind of the the upward trajectory in terms of, you know, raising money and, and doing the right things in the name of conservation. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's an, it's an interesting, uh, I guess, evolution of the, of the conservationists for sure in this country. And, you know, with, with my job, I work with, uh, the average donor, um, you know, it's pushing 60, yeah. uh, in, in this organization and it's, it's really getting younger and it's, it's kind of a different approach and, you know, people, you know, our age, like we put forth as much time, treasure and talent as we can. Right. We've got small families and you were trying to raise kids and we were finally starting to get to that point that, that we have a little extra income and, you know, let's put it into put it into wild turkeys and or, or, or Rocky Mountain Elk or DU or two percent for conservation, whatever, whatever it may be, whatever organization it may be, whatever you're passionate about. Um, but I really think that the one thing that's that's neat about you know, this, this newer wave of, of conservation that's coming up is that when, when we see a challenge and whatever that challenge may be, it might be wild turkey population de- decline. It might be, uh, you know, quails down in the South or, uh, CWD issues or EHD in North Dakota, yeah. whatever it may be. I think our generation is really willing to, to put aside the egos that we all have, uh, and, and, and work together to, to solve complex, you know, biological issues. So it's, it's really neat to see that, to see that in action with people. So, yeah. And especially, I think in a time in our country where everyone is so divided, you know, kind of speaking politically conservation, the outdoors, that's one that you oftentimes see both sides of the aisle going, yep, this is the right thing to do. Let's, I mean, now granted you have like, what was it that uh, representative from Georgia who the uh, return act trying to get rid of the Pittman Robertson act and, and all the funding that comes with that. Like, yeah. I, and you know, by, by most accounts from what I understand is like, it was just an attention grab. Like it was never going to go anywhere, thankfully, but for the most part, that's, that's, you know, the outdoors and things like that is one thing that we can all come together on. And that's, like you said, it's a good thing to see, um, because it, it keeps us as united as possible as, as hunters, as anglers and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's interesting the job that that, that state agency uh, representatives have to you know, have to do. It's it's funny how you know, they have to balance you know political pressures and they get they get pressure from hunters more so than I think that any of us realize until you start having conversations with them. I know when Andrew and I were, were started interviewing some representatives um, from the, the ODNR for our show, we've we've had them on a couple of times. Um, you know, they're the, they're the folks that are in charge of really of, of, of the resource that we love. And, 
you know, we, we, when we started to hear like the pressure that they got from hunters, uh, because those hunters, well, I, you don't get to tell me what to do with, with my deer. Well, it's not, it's not your deer, man. Like it's not yeah. like yeah. just because, you know, it's your turn to, to, you know, what is it? What's, what's Doug Durant say? And it's not, it's not ours. It's just our turn. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so that's it's it's a it's a shared resource, and you know it's fun. It's it's just man, it's crazy the the challenge the the DNR representatives across the the country have to deal with just from pressure from hunters, and then you add on the political pressure. It's pretty wild. It's a it's a tough gig for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's certainly a thankless job because yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, DNR agents like. You, people you know people that work for agencies like the dnr fishing game or whatever like yeah like they're woefully underpaid yet they're getting Absolutely. all all this flack from you know hunters and anglers and you know they could do a better job it's like you know, like everyone's a monday morning quarterback right when it comes to yeah. decisions and everything's that are everything that are made and you know it's it's not fair to them because they're trying to do what's best for you know the population of animal x or you know whatever the case is so yeah kudos to uh to those those members of those agencies out there that are, you know, continue to fight the good fight day in and day out because it's a, uh, yeah, for it's, sure. It's not an easy job. So working with the NWTF, what is something that you learned about turkeys, I guess, or yes, just something that you learned about turkeys or the population that you were just completely unaware of prior to, you know, going to work for them? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I've, I've always been, even before my job, I've been very engaged with, um, with conservation work and what's, what's going on with the population just because I, I, you know, I cared so much about it. Um, I think that the one thing that, that I really, I really like focus on, and this isn't about conservation work, but it's kind of the culture around Turkey hunting and it's the, it's the people. It's not, it's not the animals. Um, and it's just really neat. Like how, how, how important like turkey hunting is to so many people and um you know for for me it's it's very much it's it's very much a lifestyle for a ton of people it's very much a lifestyle and, and i get to deal with those people every day so maybe that's that's why i see it this way but it you know i travel around the country i go down to the southeast and you know in the spring and i got to hunt in alabama and, and, and through georgia and everything and it was just like just the stories you know that, yeah. that people tell and 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 you meet you meet some of these people um you know, that, that we're just like on the front line. This is this call maker from Mississippi, Zach Farmer. I mean, this guy's, you know, late nineties, he's been early nineties, been making trumpet calls. And yeah, he was one of like the first guys to kill a Turkey during a season in Mississippi. Like it's, it's insane. Wow. Yeah. Like the, one of the first legal, legal seasons. So you, you, you get to see these, see these old, these older guys, you know, that, that are at the end of their life. But when they're, you know, they're in their twenties, they're, they're some of the people that were like, we get to hunt turkeys for the first time. Like you, know, you hear these guys talk about the first turkey that they ever heard gobble back in, you know, 1958. And so the, and it's just, it's <laughs> just, wild. It's just, you know, it's just, it's, it is, it's just, it's just wild. And just kind of the, the culture that's, that's, um, that's just evolved from, from those people, you know, with the calling contest and the, and, and the, the rich history of call makers in each, in each state, um, you know, the, you hear the lore of of guys like you know Toxie Hayes from Mossy Oak and Cus Strickland and Will Primos and all of these guys you know back in the you know the late you know, late seventies early eighties that really kind of created the modern turkey hunter uh, you know that 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 we know I mean you hear like Will Primos you know talk about like mouth calling uh, and and like trying to sell these mouth calls to shops down like in you know southern Mississippi. And, and these old timers are like, you call too much, you call too loud. And he's just like, sir, the turkey's dead. Like the turkey, like he would bring in yeah. dead turkeys, <laughs> like to sell, to sell like a 50 cent mouth call to these little shops, like in some dirt road town, you know, like that's so cool to hear, yeah. you know, and there, there aren't a lot of other, um, you know, every, every kind of category of, of hunting has its culture, but I, I just really, I really just, the more, the more people I hear, you know, I hear all these stories down, you know, how it was back in the nineties, you know, which was, you know arguably the, the, the golden era of turkey hunting. Um, and just the people that, you know, Pretz, Preston Pittman and Mike Heflin and, and, and all these guys that are just old school turkey hunters, man. And they just, they talk about what they're, you know, how it was back in the nineties. And it's just, it's cool. It's almost like old war stories with some of those guys, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
but it's cool. That's so that's the one thing that I that I just I didn't I didn't realize how how deep that those cultural roots ran for, yeah. for people, uh, you know, across the country. So it's really cool. It's really cool to be a part of and, and to just watch it happen, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, because I think in, in any kind of, well, no, not in any, well, no, probably, but like whether it's whitetail hunting, turkey hunting, waterfall hunting, like, yeah, there's, there's this kind of this, the, the OG, hunters in that particular field and you know if you look at like some of like the really big game you know elk bison things like that i mean they were hunting that for you know millennia exactly decades yeah it doesn't even start to scratch the surface but there's there's always kind of that that first wave of of people who kind of laid the foundation for that species and and kind of what the trajectory is like for you know centuries to come and to be a part of that is like i that answer was a really good answer. Like, I really like that because it wasn't about like, Oh, I learned that, you know, the population is this, or it was that like, not, not statistics, right. It's, it's something, you know, your biggest takeaway or something that you didn't know was like the tradition, the, 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 the history, the culture behind it. And that's, that's something that you can't, you can't read that in a textbook. You know, you can't read that, you know, in an article or something like that. Like, that's just something you have to experience. You got to talk to those people. Like you just said, you've got to, understand what they went through when they first got started or when they first got started um yeah it's a lot of it's a it's a lot of emotion you Mm -hmm. know and uh it's and people are so passionate about it's 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 funny man like you know the the wild turkey is is really a lot of places in this country it's kind of walking a, a a razor's edge you know and it's 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 the it's the the biggest challenge that the turkey has faced in, in decades, decades, a generation, two generations, right? And the, the the turkey hunters that you know, man, they they would give everything to hunt a spring turkey. They're the the first ones that are like, hey, there's a, there's a problem, and the states are like, well, okay, we're going to reduce bag limits, we're going to do these things, and and there's not a lot of complaints. You yeah. know, when, they're when, the first when, ones to give up the tag. Yeah, and and there are there are states that have that have that, that there are massive declines in population, and you can still shoot five or four turkeys in the spring, and 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 and, and hunters are like, we're not going to do it, yeah. we're not going to do it. And then so you flip that over to like the whitetail side, and you've got you know you get CWD, EHD, and you know the the DNRs are like, and 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 I, we we're not going to dive into that, but you know like the DNRs will say, hey, we, we've we have like a potential problem with, with the deer herds, CWD. We need, you know, we need to investigate this kind of pump the brakes. Let's really like try to figure this out. And deer hunters are like, Oh my God, it's trying to kill my deer. Yeah. And they just freak out, you know, yeah. there's, so there's no, I, there's very much a, a, you know, in the Turkey hunting culture, it is, let's do everything that we can to keep this bird here for not just us, but for, for generations to come. And, and I just don't see that in other, uh, in other hunting cultures. And th- and that's because I wear you know, turkey colored glasses, if you will. Um, <laughs> Andrew's, Andrew's probably over here like, God, this guy talking about turkeys. So, <laughs> But no, you make a good point because, and, and this is not to disparage hunters, you know, that hunt specific species exclusively. But yeah, like I've heard a lot of gripes from people when it came to like whitetail and, and CWD being a huge issue. I mean, we have it here in Michigan and I hunt in a CWD adjacent county or zone, however you want to look at it. So they were recommending that we get our deer tested, especially like I was, you know, I'm talking like less than a mile from the border of this county, um, that has, you know, multiple cases of CWD reported. And yeah, like people are complaining, like, Oh, I don't want to have to do that. And this and that it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta look at the bigger picture here. Like one, it's not that difficult, especially if, if you're just out, you know, if you shoot a doe, right? Like, chop the head off, drop it off at a station to get tested. You've done your part. Right. And people just don't want to, they don't want to do the work. You know, they just want to be kind of selfish about it. And and not everyone, you know, I don't want to speak in in generalities here, but yeah, a lot of people, they just, they just want to, you know, enjoy their hunt, not worry about anything else, not worry about the landscape or the herd and go about their business when, you know, two years from now, they couldn't have, a, they might not have a herd or they might not be able to eat the animals that they're taking off the landscape because everything is infested with, you know, CWD or, or EHD or, you know, whatever disease, uh, you know, may be prevalent in that area. So 
yeah, it's, I, I like to hear that, that, you know, turkey hunters, like they're, they're the first ones to say, nope, I'm, I'm not going to do this because it's suggested that I don't, or, you know what, instead of taking, you know, my five bird limit or something this year, like I'm going to take two or I'm going to take one, right? Like I've, you know, kind of scratched that itch for the year. I've, I've had a blast doing it. I've chased some birds and this and that let's wait till next year. Let's try to keep that herd, that population as healthy as possible, you know, kind of in football terms, like live to play another down, right? Like, absolutely. You know, yeah, like sometimes, absolutely. sometimes punting is not the worst option. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, it's a team effort, man. It's a, it it's is. a very, it's a, it's a big picture mentality, uh, that has taken hold in turkeys. And I think that's because, you have people that are still alive and actively hunting and actively a part of the culture and, and a part of the NWTF and all these other organizations, you know, remember what it's like to not have any turkeys on the landscape. Yeah. So they, they, they want to keep that there. And that's, that's good. That's a good mentality to have for sure. So, yeah. And I gotta say, so I'd never turkey hunted growing up. It just wasn't anything that, that, you know, my family did. And my brother-in-law got me into it about four years ago and I still haven't killed a bird yet. I've had some really great encounters and made a lot of rookie mistakes out there. Like, yeah. like I'm sure all of us have when we first kind of get into it. But, and I think the first time I went, we didn't see any birds. We didn't hear any birds. And I was underprepared for the weather that day. It was, it was maybe late April and we got out in the woods, you know, super early and got set up and it was like 40 degrees. And I'm like sitting on the ground, you know, up against a tree and I was just cold. I was miserable. I was like, and we didn't like, again, we didn't hear anything. I was like, yo, this turkey hunting is not for me. Like, nope, ain't <laughs> going to happen. And then, you know, he talked me into going out again the following, the following spring. And we started to have our first encounters. And I was like, okay, like, you know, like, I don't even think we saw birds, but we heard birds like in a fairly close proximity. I was like, okay, like, this is cool. Like the back and forth and, and things like that. And then my third year out, I was, uh, I was on my own um, for a morning hunt and had birds light up, you know, I mean, they were still up in the roost and they were much closer this time around. I was like, okay, like this is, this is cool. And you know, another rookie mistake, like where I was set up, like I realized, you know, it's dark. I didn't realize how exposed I was until it starts to get light. And I'm still not thinking about it until I hear birds coming in. Like they're responding to my call. They're starting to work in and at this point they like crest this hill and there's like this little valley between us and I'm sitting like up the other side, butted up against the back of a tree and they, they crest the, the opposite side hill and they're probably, I don't know, a hundred yards out or so. And I'm like, shit, I'm exposed here. Like I gotta, I gotta get behind this tree. I gotta do something. And I thought I was being super stealth, right? And no, those things picked me off at a hundred yards yeah. away. And like that, Damn right they did. They, and that's, you know, like, that's the thing. Like if you're deer hunting, like you can get away with that all day long. Right. For sure. But with turkey hunting and, you know, knowing where the call was coming from, like they had me pinned down probably before they came over that hill. Like, yeah, I know where that guy's at or whatever that noise Absolutely. is. Like I know where it's coming from. And so that was super, <clears throat> super humbling, but a super cool experience to hear those things just light up like that. And I mean, you can feel it. You can feel you it in can. your chest. You can. Even at that distance, you know, when those things, you know, and I had a couple more opportunities, um, probably closer to like 50 yards, but again, like not, no shot opportunities or anything like that. But yeah, when those things light up, man, yeah, everything hears it. Like it's, I'm hooked. Like I, I enjoy the hell out of it this year. And we had, we had a really cool experience this year where we were hunting and we had, we had him like kind of th uh, he was inside at 30 yards but he was on this neighbor's property and through like this big thicket but we we knew right where he was at and we couldn't get him to come into this little field that we we're this little field edge that we were sitting on after about 45 minutes of kind of calling back and forth and kind of this standoff that we were doing we kind of pulled the plug and looped all the way around our property that we were hunting on i mean we made this huge loop to try to get to the other uh part of this field where this turkey was sitting in and my brother-in-law and I like set up like kind of on two opposite ends of this field, like depending on which way he kind of popped in, one of us would have a play at him. And he got right to this, right to the edge of the neighbor's property. I'm talking inside of 30 were my brother-in-law could see him. Like he needed to take like two steps and he went, he just, he wouldn't take those two steps. And eventually he was just like, something's not right here. 
turned around and we never heard him or saw him again that day. Like that's, that's the cool thing about turkey hunting is like the run and gun aspect, being able to be mobile to a degree. Right. But if you hear something in the distance, like you can try to pin it down, try to put yourself in position, which, you know, there's not really any other hunting that's like that. There's, there's not. And it's, it's the most rewarding and most challenging and the most frustrating form of hunting that I've ever done because you can, you can set the stage, have everything right. And it's like, man, I need you to take two more steps Yeah, and they'll take five step, five steps backwards, you know, for no reason. And it just, for no, for no reason. And you just, and, and that's what, you know, it's, it's neat when you, when you, when you're trying to teach new turkey hunters how to hunt, you know, you know, with, with deer hunting, elk hunting, you know, you can look at like terrain features and you can look at wind and thermals and, and there's all these things that will predict might not be the right word, but you, you can kind of pattern deer and where, right. and where they're going to be, where they're going to live, you know, the side of the hill that they're on all this stuff with turkeys. You know, someone asked me like, well, how do you find where, where do turkeys live? I'm like, do pick a spot and they're going to be there. It's <laughs> everywhere. Point, right. Like yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't matter, man. And they're just like an amoeba when they move and <laughs> you know, they prefer certain spots, you know, you know, with weather or whatever, but they're just all over the place and they, and they will, and wild animals, like when you're hunting, everyone knows this, like they, I feel like a turkey that they will, they will choose the path that you don't want them to choose every time, 99 times out of a hundred, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just going to sit there going, that'll just happen, man. Like I, you look at around, like did, did this really just happen? Like this turkey just walk out of my life. I've been calling this turkey for three hours and it just walked out of my life. That happens all the time. And I'll tell you what, man, it's okay for the turkey to win. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really is because, you know, when, when you get, when you, when you get that, that, that shot, you kill that turkey and you go up that first time, you're super excited. You're like, Oh my God, that was awesome. And then, you know, you do it again. You're like, Oh man, like there, there's that moment, like, for, especially for me and for a lot of like just a, most turkey hunters, there's that moment of pain and, and, and Colonel Tom Kelly, he's an author. He's written a ton of books about turkey hunting. He's got a quote, he's, you know, he's, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it here. I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but he's like, if I could, you know, breathe life into him again, I'd, I'd hunt him all over again, yeah. you know? And it's that moment where it's like, you've taken, you've killed that turkey, that worthy adversary. And you're like, damn, that sucks. But man, that was awesome. Yeah. I'd do it all. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'd do it for a million years if I could. Um, it's a weird dichotomy, right? It is, man. Cause it just rips, you know, it, it for me, it like rips your heart out every time you do it, you know, but you, I do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. And it's just such a weird, it's such a weird thing to wrap your mind around. Uh, and you know, a lot of people are like that with deer or pheasant, whatever it is, but you know, for, for, for a lot of turkey, it's a very emotional moment. Um, you know, and you just, but you love it and that's what keeps coming back. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Paul, we're, we're, we're staring midnight in the face here. I didn't, I didn't even realize how long we had been going here, but this is, this has been good stuff. Yes. Before uh, I let you get some sleep. Cause I know you got a big day tomorrow too. For people that want to learn more about NWTF becoming a member, if they're not already donating, whether it's their time, talent or treasure, like you mentioned, where can people learn more? So the, so the website is nwtf.org. Uh, you can get on Instagram, Facebook, just search. It's, it's, I think it's official NWTF for, for most of them. TikTok, the, uh, Fred bird does our podcast. It's Turkey call all access. He does a great job of getting really, really good guests and just pulling the best out of them. And it's all about Turkey hunting, uh, every week. So I, I would, you know, that's on all platforms. Turkey call all access, uh, is a good way to do it. Go to a banquet, get involved in the chapter. Um, you know, talk to, talk to people. If you need, if you need a help, you know, finding, finding a banquet, finding a chapter, reach out to me. You can find me on, on, on social media. Um, yeah, nwtf.org. You click on events. That'll get you tied in with chapter events that are going on, uh, outreach events that are going on. You can see, uh, there's, it's what's a a new feature of the website. We're, we're really kind of picking up steam and, and streamlining and getting up with the times you can click on each individual state. You can see the conservation work, projects that are that are going on or have awesome. gone on uh in in your state so you can see um you know what we're doing you can see the money that we're putting into conservation work research uh you know our three projects the hunting heritage is a very big part of the organization's uh mission um so yeah that's a great website ton of resources there so that's where i would start awesome and while you're at it be sure to check out the uh o2 the ohio outdoor podcast with paul and andrew get your yeah, uh, we have a lot of fun with that yeah yeah absolutely a couple of great guys paul Thank you a ton for uh, for doing this, man. It was great chatting with you, and hopefully we can uh, get together soon, whether it's uh, 
out in Oklahoma there for that hog hunt or uh, down at ATA next year. Yeah, you got it, man. I can't wait to meet you, Marcus. All right, man. Take care. All right. Yep, you too. All right. Well, there you have it. Another episode in the books. Uh, I certainly hope that you guys enjoyed that conversation with Paul. It was one that uh, that I really enjoyed. I would like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, Outdoor Class, and as always, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media, where it's going to be only positive conservation-driven content that lands in your feeds there. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Again, hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure and check out theaverageconservationist.com. Pick up some swag, some gear, hats, t-shirts, all that good stuff, and help support conservation in the process. So until next week, stay safe out there, and remember that conservation starts with you.